Coming up on Word Matters, linguistic double-dipping. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. English borrowed lots of words from French, and it liked some of those words so much it borrowed them twice. Peter explains. One thing that's unusual about French dictionaries, French monolingual dictionaries, is if you turn to the letter W, you realize that there are no French words that begin with W. You will see if you have a good-sized French dictionary, like a Petit Robert or Petit Larousse, which is the size of our collegiate dictionary, there might be 20 or 30 words, and you realize they're all English or German words that have been borrowed into French, but none of them are natively French words. It's just one of those things. It's a language that can obviously make that sound. They have the word oui that is spelled with an O, but for whatever reason, because most of French is derived from Latin, and Latin didn't have a W. As you can think of the old inscriptions where U's would appear as V's, for example. And so there was a confusion, the V's and the U's, and even in early English dictionaries were just thrown together. There was no separation of those letters. And then W itself was kind of a more modern innovation. Does the letter W appear internally in French words? That's a good question. I don't think so. Wow. So it's really kind of a W-less language? Yeah, essentially. They're not unwelcoming to use a W word to the immigrants from mostly English and German. When I lived there, the W in my last name was very consistently pronounced as a V, and a more European approach to that. The reason, again, is because Latin is the basis of most of French. But there is an interesting thing that happened around the time of the Norman Conquest, because we think of that moment as an important one in the history of the English language, because this invasion also brought a new language, the language of the Norman French, across the channel into England to blend with English in the 11th century. So that's why it's easy to kind of say that English is a thousand years old. It really might be a little bit longer if you are counting from Old English. Of course, there's a huge infusion of vocabulary that happened after the Norman Conquest. And then, of course, there was the development of what we refer to as Middle English a few centuries later. For people who haven't listened to other episodes, don't know the basic history of the English language, English was basically a Germanic language until 1066 when these invaders from what is now France (laughs) came and took over and they pretty much banished English from any kind of formal use at all. Law, literature, government, all of that was all in French suddenly. And so, you know, after a few hundred years of that, then what started to be used became the precursor of modern English. It's exactly as you say. The official language, especially the bureaucratic language, became this Norman French, this sort of equivalent to Old English, but on the other side of the channel. So Old French, often referred to as Anglo-French, the French spoken on the British Isles by those Norman conquerors. And then, of course, in terms of religion, the Catholic Church still used Latin. So you had either a medieval development of Latin as Old French or Latin itself in all the positions of power and authority that clearly had an enormous influence on the vocabulary. A lot of scientific writing would still be written directly in Latin at that point as well, wouldn't it? Until the 20th century, basically. I mean, Latin was the lingua franca, of course, of scientists on the continent in in England as well. In the household, children were growing up speaking English as they always had. There are all kinds of consequences of this. One of the interesting ones is to look at just a group of words that came from those Normans, but then 
a second group of words that came from a second group of French people. There were, in fact, a couple of French conquests. The first one was by the Normans, who were in the north of France, and they neighbored just to the east what we would today call Belgium, peoples who spoke another Germanic language, one that was related to English. We usually call it Franconian. Sometimes in the dictionary you'll see old, low Franconian. In French it has a lovely name, Francique, with a Q-U-E at the end, Francique. That was a proto-Dutch. But that language, like English, has W's and has that sound and has that influence and had that influence on the Latin that was evolved into medieval French in Normandy. So you had that first batch of words that came across that included words that did start with that W sound. And that means that these are Norman French speakers who are using words that begin with a W because they were influenced by their neighbors. These were sounds from Franconian words that had come into the northern part of France. And that happened to be the group of people who then crossed over into England. And so this is why we have words like warranty or warden. You're saying Franconian did come with a W. Yes. These were uh -huh. words that were essentially Germanic in origin, that were Gallicized, Latinized, Frenchified, and then brought over to England from there. Where did they get their Ws from? They were from the Germanic tradition in what was kind of a proto-Dutch. However, people meet and languages merge and blend. And what happened was there were a group of these words that came across initially after the Norman Conquest in the 11th century. The linguistic changes did not happen instantaneously. It took a couple centuries for these things to filter in. And what happened in the case of the word warranty and other words like wallop, for example, or ward, warden, that had come initially, the language dialect of the slightly more southern part of France, around Paris, the central part of France, became the next group of people who either through trade or through the Hundred Years' War were connected to England, who were able to influence England, and their language was also spread among the French speakers in Great Britain. And they recognized they had the same words, but they didn't start with a W, they started with a G. So warranty had a neighbor or a cousin called guarantee, and guarantee came in. And Warden had a cousin, Guard, or Guardian, that came in. And Wallop had a cousin, Gallop, that came in. And this is why we have the two names, William and Guillaume, was the French version of the same name. There's another phonetic change that you can sort of measure in the same way, which is that the Germanic-influenced Norman French typically had words that started with a K sound with the letter C, a word like captain, for example, or cart. What about Walloon? Did that have a G? What the, is the, Walloon? I think you're onto something there. They are the French speakers of Belgium, contemporary Belgium. In French, you say that word vallon, spelled with a W and with two L's and a single O in French. Having been kind of steeped in this sort of conversation for a long time now, this is very, very confusing. I got the whole Norman invasion thing. A bunch of French people from a particular part of modern-day France came over to England and brought their language with them and forced people to use some of their words and introduced all this new vocabulary. But now I have to consider the fact that there are these other French people who are heavily influenced by the Germanic language spoken by their neighbors, and they come over and they bring different words with them. In French history, you talk about the Gauls and the Franks. These were different tribes, the tribes that the Romans encountered. And the Franks were the Franconians. Franks were those people that were essentially Germanic and had that proto-Germanic language. And it's also important to recognize that for whatever reason, by the 14th century, so a couple hundred years later, that dialect from the greater Parisian area, a different Norman dialect, of course, Normandy had been lost. France wasn't a country as we know it today. The Dukes of Normandy who conquered England, England became kind of a colony of Normandy. 
But then the Parisian region of France, which is normally known as France, attacked and conquered Normandy. So the Normans were actually pushed out of their original territory and they ended up retreating to England because that was their colony, essentially. And so they lost political control of the north of France. But what happened by the 14th, 15th century is that the dialect spoken by these others, the Parisians, ended up being the more prestigious one for whatever reason. It was the fancy one. It was the one that was preferred by the upper classes. And therefore, you get these doubles. So warranty and guarantee, warden and guardian. And that's how these words were introduced a second time and had the horsepower to enter into the language a second time. With the CA word, so you had words like cart and chart. A cart, which became card in English, and card and charter, they're cognate, they're the same word. Carriage and chariot are the same word. Captain and chef. What you notice about all of these is that the Norman one had a K sound, and the Parisian one had a CH sound. And yet they were etymologically the same word, borrowed twice. It's an interesting sort of human story that talks about politics, but also wars, conquering, of course, but also the influence of neighboring languages onto local languages. I know this is oversimplification, but can you kind of trace the development of W in Europe just by more or less going to the north and to the east? I know that there are very few W words that aren't loan words or borrowings in Spanish. I presume the case is similar in Portugal. I don't know about Italy. But once you go north and east of France, you immediately start to run into all kinds of Ws. Is that an accurate portrayal of the role of the W in what we think of as modern-day Europe? I'm not etymologist. However, there is no prominent W in the Italian language or the Spanish language or the Portuguese language. So what you're seeing is essentially the languages that derive very directly from Latin as opposed to those that were in the Germanic tribes, like the Angles and the Saxons and the Jutes and the Franks and ultimately the Germans. Do you know if the G-U in guard and guardian was originally pronounced with the gua? Yes, it was. was. They do know that. That's a really good point. I think it's an interesting blend because English does not allow it initially or just doesn't happen to have right. it. We're fine with qu, with the k, w sound, but we are really not fine with g, w at the beginning of a word. But we allow it in the middle of a word like linguistics yeah. and sanguine. It's not super common, yeah. but there's no problem having gua internally in English, but we don't have it initially. initially. Again, these are cultural stories as much as they are linguistic stories. They have to do with politics and prestige and wars, the consequences of wars. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be right back with more on a particular group of French borrowings. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Word Matters listeners get 25% off all dictionaries and books at shop.merriam-webster.com by using the promo code MATTERS at checkout. That's MATTERS, M-A-T-T-E-R-S, at shop.merriam-webster.com. I'm Ammon Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. 
I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. Our discussion about guarantee and warranty and others like them continues. Guarantee and warranty are also interesting in particular because they have this overlapping semantic territory in English. A warranty is in common use. It's a very particular kind of guarantee. They're both legalistic. They're both technical. The warranty is more technical than guarantee. I can give you my personal guarantee about something, and that's my word that I'm going to do something. But a warranty has some legal standing. It can actually function in a legal context to protect you from being cheated from a bad product or something. And this guard and ward, which are intriguingly kind of mirrors of each other. A ward is one who's protected and the guard is the one who protects. And that's an intriguing sort of development from this as well. Another one from this pairing of Norman French and Parisian French, we're just calling it Parisian French of, of that period of the 13th, 14th century, is canal and channel. They're the same words, but canal came from the Norman dialect and channel from the Parisian dialect, the slightly more southern one. Once you hear that, you think, oh, yeah, those are kind of similar in meaning. We use them in different ways, but they etymologically go back to the same root. What you said a little while ago about the Franks, I assume the name France? Yes. So the name of the country where this famously romantic <laughs> language is from is actually a Germanic word? Absolutely. It should be called Gaul. Because Gaul was the greater part of the landmass. In France, Gaul is a kind of a special word. Kind of like in America, we could have been called Colombia. But Gaul as a tribe, because they were perceived as heroic fighters against the Romans, have a special place in the kind of patriotic French history. There's a great French pop singer from the 1960s whose name and many of these singers were given kind of made-up names. Her name was France Gall, which is funny because her name was basically two of the names of your own country. But it is an intriguing thing that they named them after the Franks and not after the Gauls. Well, you can't really blame them. France maybe sounds a little bit better than Gaul. <laughs> it's true. It's interesting. And there are other consequences of the medieval period that come down to this day, which is to say that so much of British royalty is still connected to the French language. The motto of the queen is Dieu et mon droit. It's written in French. And the motto of the Order of the Garter is Oni soit qui mal y pense which looks like Latin to a lot of people, but it's actually French. These you have to translate both of those. Oh, boy. Uh, Dieu et mon droit. It's important to know that the et in that phrase is the word and, et, not the word is, est, because it would be pronounced the same way, Dieu et mon droit, which has an effect on the meaning. So Dieu et mon droit means literally God and my right, my right, my ability to exert my right. So that's the motto on the British royal arms, God and my right. If it were the, the other A, Dieu est mon droit, it would be God is my right, which would be a, a little bit heavier. Oni Swaki Mali Pons is difficult to translate, and I actually know this because I'm the one who translated it for the Collegiate Dictionary, and our colleague Mark Stevens was in charge of the foreign words and phrases section. And by the way, that's an interesting thing because there was an addenda to the Collegiate with foreign words and phrases, and I don't know how many there were. There might have been 1,500 or 2,000 or something, but they were overwhelmingly French and Latin. 80% of them, of commonly found foreign words and phrases in the English language listed in the back of the collegiate. Oniswaki Malipons is a little hard to translate. I translate it this way. Shamed be the person who thinks evil 
of it. It's a really hard thing to express, but oniswa means shame be to you, shame to you, or shame to one. Qui mal y pense, one who, in French, literally bad of it, thinks. It's very elliptical, but shame be anyone who thinks poorly of it, that is either the order of the guard or the group of knights, the honor that they share, whatever it is. It's a famous medieval-sounding French phrase. One of my favorite uses of this is the final shot of the Laurence Olivier version of Richard III, where he, as a dead king on the battlefield, is sort of slung unceremoniously over the back of a horse. So he's just a body in a suit of armor. And the little plate on his knee, the side of your leg with a kind of a circular armor plate, has inscribed in it in a circle all the way around the circle, on Iswanki Malipons, and the camera slowly pans very, very close until all you see is that little motto on his knee plate, and then the movie's over. Wow. I think we're starting to reconfigure the meaning of common foreign word and phrase here. <laughs> um. I think the idea was for that addenda, for that collection of words, that these are often cited without explanation or translation, and so there has to be a place to get them. It appearing in that very evocative scene of that movie is a good example. It's not a common phrase or the average dictionary user. Something common might be je ne sais quoi. That's actually something that people might hear if they listening to NPR, for example. <laughs> Lots to talk about with the French influence in medieval England. It's a fascinating subject. For me, it just never ceases to amaze me. The kind of backstory that ultimately connects to politics and culture from a linguistic point of view. I'm going to start saying guard instead of guard. <laughs> There we go. Do what you can. I'm just going to start saying Walloon every chance I get, regardless of context. <laughs> Walloon. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us wherever you get your podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey. For Amon Shea and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.